0: Hello, Labour Story, you cool cats. Um, And thank you, Matthew, because you really got me in the mood. So um, I'm a physicist, and there's a lot of really wacky physicists out there. Um, There's like George Gamov, who tried to escape from Soviet Russia three times on a canoe. There's Erwin Schrodinger, who had like a cabin in the woods. He'd go with various mistresses to work on his science. He got one of them pregnant, he did the right thing. You know, paid her off. Um, but I've decided to speak about the person whose work I have the most personal connection with, and he's a mathematician. So I know it's gonna be a challenge, I recognize that. But I really love maths, and I just don't think I should have to apologize for that. And I'm, <laughs> I wanted to share with all of you um, what I love about math and what I love about a lot of mathematicians and he is Joseph B Keller and his approach to optical physics really shaped my entire attitude to problem-solving and you know what Keller was a real delight so he had a talent for boiling down a problem to its mathematical essence and because of that his work ranged over many fields he made observations about everything and everything interested in him he wondered why earthworms were able to wriggle on glass, whereas snakes cannot. And he, was, like, he discovered that earthworms have an entire different mechanism to move than snakes do. Um, he even managed to explain why if you add like, just a few more flights uh, to an airport, you delay many others. And he calls it the theory of queues. And he estimated, no, actually he exactly solved that if you add five flights an hour, you delay 60. And he can back that up. And he's actually the only person that has ever won two Ig Nobel prizes. And I, I really hope like, everyone here knows what an Ig Nobel prize is. But if you don't, Google it and thank me later. Um, so one of the prizes he for, won was for figuring out why teapots drip. <laughs> Not because of surface tension he said, but because of the principles of liquid flow and air pressure. And to avoid having your teapot drip, uh, don't put too much water in it. That's what he says. (laughs) Um, And the other one he won was for answering this amazing question. Why, when a jogger is running, her head is going up and down, but her ponytail goes from side to side? His ponytail work resulted in a full-on scientific paper. It's called "Ponytail Motion, <laughs> and I've read it, and it's amazing. And he says, first, the ponytail moves up and down, but the vertical motion of the, swinging, the hanging ponytail is uh, uh, not, not stable to lateral perturbations, <laughs> and eventually sort of descends to the swinging motion. Um, and just, just because the ignobles are so fun, Um, I've just wanted to, like, read out a few other things that I've wanted. Okay. (laughs) There was a study into the effect that wearing polyester trousers has on the sex life of males. (laughs) There was work that shows that a fetus will give a stronger response to music if the music is played directly into the mother's vagina. (laughs) And there... (laughs) I hope Apple comes up with, like, a device. (laughs) But... (laughs) Anyway, and they knew that because they were looking at the fetus as like facial expressions from like with an ultrasound. Anyway, and there was an Ig Nobel Prize in economics that was awarded to the Bangkok Police Department because they offered salary raises to the police who refused bribes. (laughs) Um, I actually have another optics hero, Michael Berry, and he also won an Ig Nobel Prize for levitating a frog. So all my heroes win Ig Nobel Prizes. Dr. Carl actually won one for um, work on like belly button fluff research. Anyway, I relate a lot to this sort of thing because I love making up theories about things. I've actually gathered data on men who persistently have hot chocolate instead of coffee. And I stopped like announcing my findings because I found like hot chocolate drinkers are like very touchy. I know everybody knows one, it's like, it's like 8.30 in the morning and they're like, one hot chocolate. Anyway, um, I actually have made up a graph called the mean stupid scale. And I feel it explains like all of human behavior. Um, I also like try to calculate the likelihood that the car leaving Clayton in front of me is also going to Caulfield, or like the likelihood the car in front of me is about to turn into a driveway. Anyway, so when I was in high school, I was told that if you're good at math and if you're good at physics, that you should become an engineer. So I dragged my feet into aerospace engineering. And after a confusing first year, I got 19 maths and a four in computing. I, like, I like Charlie Brown, like, dragged myself uh, to a career counselor. And I said, is there a degree that I could do that's just maths? And she said, yeah, it's a maths degree. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, I was outraged. So I found my way to the best maths, which is in theoretical physics. And when my coordinator asked me what I would like to do my PhD in, I said to him, I'm not making this up. I said, anything with filthy, filthy algebra. And (laughs) that's how I found my way to, to Joseph Keller and his geometrical theory of diffraction but I'm gonna go back to the beginning and just give you a bit of his background. So he was born in 1923 in New Jersey, descended from Russian and Polish Jews, as I am. His father, Isaac, was a Bialystok native who fled the pogroms and changed his name from Kiel's to Keller at Ellis Island. His mother's family fled Russia to England, then they emigrated to New Jersey. So Isaac Keller sold wholesale liquor during prohibition and his wife did the bookkeeping at the bar which I love it. I love that so much. It's really par- real partnership. And so Keller completed his bachelor's master's at PhD at NYU, and he stayed there as a red- resident until he met his second wife. And there they moved to Stanford University together. So Joseph was married twice, which is personal ambition of mine as well. <laughs> <laughs> he... <laughs> He met his second wife, Alice Whitmore, who was also a professor of mathematics because he was assigned to oversee her transition from pure mathematics to applied mathematics. I'm sure she was thrilled at how spontaneous and risk taking all these applied mathematicians were compared to all the uptight pure mathematicians she had been dating. And they were really true life partners. They shared the pleasures of good food, cycling, jogging, reading, and socialising together, along with their very busy academic lives. They also asked a filmmaker friend to compile a list of recommended movies, and they diligently worked their way through every movie, borrowing it from the Stanford Library. They shared all the household duties, and they were intensely devoted to each other. But back to his science, what he's most famous for is his work in optics. And I want to just tell you something about light. So light exhibits particle-like behavior and wave-like behavior. We call it the the wave-particle duality. So in the wave theory, light travels in a wave. In the particle realm, we use array theory to explain how light travels, which is geometrical optics. So I'm just going to give you a breakdown of the wave-particle duality. If you stood in place in front of a doorway and threw a thousand basketballs one at a time through the doorway, you would probably end up with a pile of basketballs. What you would not end up with is a pile of basketballs, no basketballs, a pile of basketballs, no basketballs, and so on. But that's actually what happens with light. So what Keller's and now you know about quantum mechanics, and congratulations. (laughs) What Keller's work actually did is to predict the basketball door pattern, still sticking to the idea that light is basketballs. So it's known as the the Geometrical Theory of Diffraction because it uses geometrical optics, which is the ray theory, using the basketball idea, to predict the effects of diffraction, that basketball effect, which is a wave effect. So using Keller's theory, you can calculate very complicated diffraction patterns using pretty much high school geometry. And the work that he did was built on work in World War II that he did, using sonar to locate submarines and underwater mines to tra- transmit sound um, waves through water. Um, they would bounce off underwater mines or submarines and return back to the detector. And his theory that he eventually developed can be applied to all waves, so electromagnetic, light, acoustic, and it's been applied to radar, stealth technology, as well as antenna design. And he also studied other, other things relating to national security, like whether or not uh, he, he did the work to figure out if uh, underwater nuclear testing could cause a tsunami. That's something he worked on. The elegance of Keller's maths is its simplicity. Three-dimensional optical fields are incredibly hard to visualize. I mean, like in maths, because you could just look, look at it. So <laughs> <laughs> So the, like, you know what I mean. Anyway, so if, if you have light going through some complex objects like, like lungs, uh, understanding what happens after the lungs requires like a very deep understanding of, of light. And Keller organizes this very well. So when I was pregnant with my son and for about nine months after, I totally lost my ability to visualize optical fields which has always been like a natural talent of mine to like understand mathematically what is happening when I look at things. I'm, I'm like very convinced this is a thing, that pregnancy impairs your ability to visualize three-dimensional problems. <laughs> it's possibly always hard, but I'm very convinced that like the oxytocin or endorphins are like very distracting. Because yeah. to visually you have to hold a thought in your head and like build on it. And I don't think you can do that when you're pregnant. And I used to say that to people in physics. And they'd say, "Freedom thinks pregnancy makes you stupid. I'm like, not stupid, just that you can't visualize three-dimensional optical problems. <laughs> so, I don't really have like a statistically significant sample size. So if you know any pregnant physicists, just send them my way and maybe i'll get an ignoble one day. anyway um, my point is that keller's theory of geometrical diffraction organizes optical fields in such a way it's very simple to communicate he puts forth all these like really neat rules of how to calculate things and he streamlines it completely and i have a, a really strong memory of triumph after that like difficult time where i sort of couldn't really think straight where i, I used his work to write down an equation for a field that i was studying an optical field that I was sort of trying to figure out. I stood up in front of my supervisors and with complete clarity I pointed to like various parts of the equation and then I like, pointed to the field and explained everything about the field using that equation, explained something to my supervisors that had never been explained to them and just like the wonder on their faces of being like oh wow, you know, now I understand it. That that moment of clarity coming directly from his approach to sort of breaking down the problem bit by bit. There's so many neat parts to his work, and I I could go on forever. You'll have to buy me a drink if you wish to hear more about it. (laughs) Or if you're happy for me to talk about it, I'll buy you a drink. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm going to leave you with this. So as a theoretical physicist, I feel like it's very hard to explain what my actual field of expertise is, especially if my job involves, like, intubating a mouse or being asked to recommend a dose for a mucus challenge. And like yesterday I received like a box of lungs. And I've <laughs> I've asked my mentor, who's also a theoretical physicist, if he ever feels like like resident smart person. And he said, Yeah, you get sort of taken from room to room sometimes at experiments and being asked to give his expert opinion on things. He's like, I'm not, I don't okay, I don't really know. You know, and in my LinkedIn I put myself as a learner of things. I couldn't sort of figure out how to but that's what I am I learn things and the reason why I'm learning things is I'm always trying to solve problems I'm a problem solver I, I pose a question and I find a systematic way to solve it and I learn what I need to learn along the way and usually as soon as a problem is solved I forget all of it <laughs> <laughs> and Keller's every day delight in wondering about things and seeking explanation is really a reminder about definitely me but why so many people go into science to begin with I read that at a party often he could be one minute explaining to a small child why tiny soda bubbles assembled in a glass and then the next moment he's having like a nuanced discussion about wave propagation with a colleague I think it's really important to encourage and nurture this sort of organic creative Output from scientists, like the sort of useless stuff which ends up with the ignobles, because that's the stuff that really fires them slash us up to, you know, do the rest of it, and then eventually, you know, you get that national security outputs that the government loves so much. <laughs> 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 and I'm I'm really forlorn because I realise that Keller passed away as recently as 2016, because now that I've put the effort in to learn something about his character, I really wish. I had contacted him. I really think we would have gotten along. So I really loved learning about Keller's wonderful character and I hope you have too. And thank you so much for having me.